So we hope your Christmas has gotten off to a good start. We're into it, aren't we? But it's crisis time all over the world, have you noticed? Not just Christmas, but crisis. Because this world is definitely experiencing multiple crises. In just about every field of human knowledge, there's crisis going on. Whether we're talking about education, religion, politics, finance, marriage and family. Is there any area that you can mention that's not in crisis of some kind? It's quite generalized. It's pretty overwhelming. You know, supposedly, AI is going to fix everything for us. You know, artificial intelligence. It's already been made a religion, thanks to Anthony Lewandowski, back in 2015, using typical religious jargon so that he could supposedly help people gain a spiritual connection with artificial, connection, with artificial intelligence. Does that make sense? Well, he explains it further. AI is going to help and guide people in a way that we would formally refer to as God. Yeah, he's made a God. He's recognized this is the God we're going to worship in the future. To me, it just means that the mm, human crisis is deepening, getting worse. As we turn more and more to our own wisdom, and more openly turn against our maker and his truth, the true king, the only redeemer, we're going to be in worse and worse trouble, you know? On the international scene, what do you think of the crises there? And we're not just talking about the Ukraine and the Israeli-Gaza war, are we? Those are just the places where the the human volcano is erupting most fiercely right now. But actually, all over the world, innocent lives are being jeopardized, damaged, lost every day. How about Prague last Friday? I guess you saw that. It's because of this continuing crisis of humanity's selfish, warring nature. It exacts a terrible toll, and it's all thanks to our negative response to God's authority over our lives. We'd rather do it ourselves. We'd rather do it our way. That's the underlying cause of all the chaos. We know that, don't we? I mean, basically... We've got that down. Okay, you're sort of afraid to interact with me yet. It's Christmas Eve. I hope we've got that clear. We can bring this to a closer level, closer to home. We can talk about the crisis of divided families. Is yours divided today like mine is? With oceans between us. I think that story is multiplied all over this congregation, between the U.S. and Spain, between Nigeria and Spain, between India, Iran, Spain, Philippines, China, Spain, Indonesia, 
I can just look around and start seeing all the places. <laughs> we got a lot of oceans between us and family, don't we? Oceans and landmass. Okay. But you know, probably the separations aren't just geographical, are they? There are also some separations that are just emotional and relational. Those are the ones that really pain my heart, that put me in crisis mode. Crisis is an interesting word from the Greek, the original Greek word, crisis, sounds just like in Spanish, doesn't it? It actually meant a decision or a judgment, a decisive point, like a fork in the road. Especially it implied a decision that would have long-term effects, long-term impact. So we're at crises today in our world in the decisions we make about the things that are affecting us and those we love and our whole world. Decisions are being made every day that impact where we're going and how we're going to get there. So whom are you separated from this Christmas, whether by geography or by emotional difficulties? Does absence make the heart grow fonder or does it just make it grow colder? Hard question, huh? But we know this. Christmas is supposed to be about overcoming the distances between us, isn't it? Isn't that what Christmas should be about? It should motivate us to overcome the distances between us, whoever the us is, even us right here. No, because sometimes there are distances between us and we don't want to bother with overcoming them. Too much trouble. Not going to waste my time on that one or that one. (gasps) Wow. Is that God's point of view? This is what the incarnation was all about, wasn't it? Overcoming the distance between God and us. And we all matter to him. All of us. So why would we not take steps at Christmas to try to close the distances? No guarantees, right? No guarantees that your efforts are going to be corresponded. That sounds like Spanish. Sorry, I don't know how to say it in English. (laughs) I just translated it straight from the Spanish. Reciprocated, thank you. Someone will always help from the congregation. Yeah. Are we going to celebrate Christmas this year? Are we just going to sit there in our distances and let them keep growing and getting worse? Got to break the ice, don't we? Somebody's got to break the ice. I think I will. How about you? Nobody responded. (laughs) That's scary. But that's what Christmas is about. God had no guarantees anybody was going to respond. He took the initiative. That's what we've got to do. That's what Christmas means. Okay, 
Well, in our scripture reading for this morning, we see Mary in crisis. She had just received overwhelming news from an angel. And she was greatly troubled about it. There's a good word in Greek. Diatarasomai. Oof. Means a whole gamut of things. Like trouble, disturb, terrify, frighten, upset, agitate. All of these could describe Mary and how she felt at this point. You got to realize Mary was a pious Jew, spiritually expectant regarding the Messiah, hoping for his coming, but not expecting this. And now she was going to be expecting the Messiah in a whole new way, in her womb. Heavy news. She was a discreet young woman who had never known a man. She was innocence personified. So her crisis was how to handle this unexpected news that she should expect to be expecting any time now. And of course, her crisis was also about how to break this unusual turn of events to her family and especially to her fiancé, she feared the distance that it might create between her and them. But what could she do? I mean, that angel was so authoritative. And the news was so disconcerting that she had found favor. The word was grace in Greek, Charis. That's what that's where grace comes from. It means unmerited favor. Her defenses were totally wiped out from that point on since she heard that word. Why had she found favor? What had she ever done? Couldn't have been because of anything she had done. Because that's the nature of grace. It's un deserved, unmerited favor. I don't know if you know Ann Voskamp. Susie and I are fans of hers. She has a very interesting saying on this subject. She says, you aren't equipped for life until you realize that you aren't equipped for life. Do you get it? You aren't equipped for life until you're in need of grace. You see, it's in the moment of realizing our limitations. That's when we're most ready to receive grace. And it's actually grace that equips us for living. Do we get that? Without grace, you live very ungraciously. (laughs) Sorry for the redundancy. It's no way to live. We need grace for living. And God is the source of that grace. And Mary had found grace. She had found favor. 
in God's sight. And the favor in this instance was specifically, you will be pregnant. Oh, wow. Really gracious. <laughs> and the, the, the gracioso part about it is what it, what it comes from in Greek. This time it's sulambano en gastri. Hmm, can feel that. Literally means seized by the womb. That's what was going to happen to Mary. You know, an unexpected pregnancy can indeed bring a crisis, can't it? I remember when my wife was seized by the womb for the third time in our marriage. I can still remember the day, and she can too, when we were at a missions conference. And she was suddenly having those telltale symptoms. And we looked at each other with this bewildered look on our faces. <laughs> and when we got the confirmation, we were in crisis mode. That was our first reaction. We sat down and wept together. <laughs> she was 38, and this was not in our plans. But it was certainly in God's, who knew so much better than we how much we would need that third blessing. <laughs> well, Mary's case was a bit different from ours. I recognize that. But in her case, this was the miracle of Christmas about to unfold. For her and for the world, do you realize how much hinged on her yes? So that was the favor Mary would be expecting. She would give birth to a son. No need for a sonogram. Because the prophecy about this son said very specifically his name will be Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. And besides that, he would be great from the Greek, megas. He would be called son of the most high. God would give him David's throne. He would be the long-awaited heir. And he would reign over the house of Jacob forever. No end to this reign, according to the age-old promise. So Mary's crisis again creeps in. I've never known a man. Angel says not to worry. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will take care of it. He will come over you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. You see, if we translate that into modern scientific lingo, it means God would provide the Y chromosome. Oh, well, yeah, because two X's would mean a female. And a woman can only produce the X chromosome. So it takes an XY to make a male. And you know, no amount of hormone treatment or surgery can change that. It's what's written in the genes. And God doesn't make a mistake about it. Nature doesn't mess these things up. It's how God made us 
from the beginning. Binary. And he said, it is good. In fact, he said, it is very good. Essentially good, even though soon it would be morally and spiritually damaged because of our sin. Is it coming back? Okay, maybe I just bumped the button. <laughs> yes, feelings matter. They even matter to God. But they are not an infallible guide to truth. Nobody said amen, but I sure did feel it. Don't you have feelings that you realize later, oh, that was not from God, that was not anywhere near truth. It's just a feeling. They're not an infallible guide to truth. They can often lead us down a dead-end path, especially when they go against God's teaching in His Word. You see, God's Word, He didn't make up a bunch of arbitrary rules to complicate our lives. He gave us guidelines to help us know the way to life, to help us avoid the pitfalls that only lead to death. So trust Him. Learn to trust Him. Learn that He is fully trustworthy. Even with damaged feelings. And we all have some of those sometimes. Yeah, we all have to deal with damaged feelings and he's the best place to deal with them. So the angel told Mary, the holy fruit of your womb will be called Son of God. And then to give her a little bit of encouragement in this moment of crisis, which the angel could also understand, he gave her some other news. He told her, you're not the only one to have a surprise pregnancy. Your cousin Elizabeth, your kinswoman, is also expecting, even in her old age, another Greek word here that's interesting, geras, which, which, which is where we get our word geriatrics. So the angel was saying, yeah, you remember the one who's ready for the geriatrics ward? Well, she's in her sixth month. <laughs> yeah. Because with God... There's nothing, there will be nothing impossible for God. You know, that phrase is actually essential to the whole biblical message that there's nothing impossible for God. The entire biblical message, and here we find it in the Christmas story. So we need to realize how relevant it is to the Christmas message. It's part and parcel of the Christmas message. There's nothing impossible for God. Now, that doesn't mean you apply that selfishly, irreverently, to petty desires and wishes of your own to fix the world or to fix your life. No, that's not what that means. But think about the history of it because it didn't start right here in the, the Gospel of Luke. We can go all the way back to Genesis 
when the Lord was talking to Abraham about the child that his aged wife was going to have. And God said to Abraham, why did Sarah just laugh and say, oh, will I really have a child now that I am old? And God said, is there anything too hard for Yahweh? That's what he told Abraham. Okay, Moses was another one who had a problem. Numbers 11. Even Moses, that man of such faith, he said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I will give them meat to eat for the whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish of the sea were caught for them? Moses was a little bit skeptical, wasn't he? He was being a bit ironic with God. And the Lord answered him, Is Yahweh's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. That's what God told Moses. Okay? All right, stay with me. How about Job? Took 49, 40 chapters, didn't it? 39 or 40 chapters for Job to finally get convinced. But he did. After God gave him that display and that... It wasn't a tongue lashing. It was just an eye-opening experience, wasn't it? And Job replied to the Lord, Oh, I know. I know that you can do all things now. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. There was Jeremiah, too. He saw a lot. He saw the destruction of Jerusalem. And yet yet Jeremiah also said, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Yeah, the doctrine of creation was all it took for Jeremiah to be convinced. Just look at this. You see, that's biblical logic. That's good biblical logic. And you and I need to assimilate it because it really starts with the the very youngest in our Sunday school, when we try to teach them that. So by the time we're grown, we should know, shouldn't we? We should understand. Look what he's done. I will not fear. Nothing is too hard for him. It goes on in the New Testament. When Jesus had just said this about that, about the the camel going through the needle's eye, there in Matthew 19, he looked at his disciples and said, with man this is impossible but with God all things are possible. So Jesus was also reinforcing it uh, multiple times there in the gospel. Paul says it in Romans 8.31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That says he's got this, doesn't it? Or in Ephesians 3, in his prayer, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Oh, has it been a while since you've seen that power working so powerfully? Paul said to him, be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus. Well, the angel didn't give Mary this whole speech. (laughs) The angel just said it once. For God, nothing shall be impossible. 
But after a speech like what the angel gave her, she knew all that from the Old Testament. She didn't have those New Testament references yet, but she did have the Old Testament ones in her head, in her experience. And her response was, I am the Lord's maidservant. Be it done to me according to your word. Done deal. Trato hecho. What on earth had she just committed herself to? Oof. No wonder she would be known for a lot of pondering in her heart. You remember that's how Mary is described? This was hard to wrap your mind around. And I think there's a popular song, Christmas song, that captures it well. You probably remember it, entitled, Mary, Did You Know? It captures all the paradoxes that were entering her life through this child that was going to be conceived in her womb. It says, the child, this child that you deliver will soon deliver you. Remember that line? Or there's another one that says, when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Surely that was hard for her to actually grasp. She had to do a lot of pondering on it. There's another one that says, that sleeping child you're holding is the great I am Yahweh himself. Undoubtedly, she had not finished discovering all these deep truths. But it was mind-boggling enough just to know that she was expecting a baby without ever having had intimate relations with a man. You know, that is a doctrine that today moderns love to sneer at and joke about, oh yeah, it's probably another um, magical conception like Jesus is. But you know, the fact is, if we believe in a God who is the creator of life, what difficulty is it for him to create life in the womb of a virgin? He's the author. How big is your God? And especially if it's his own life that he's planting in that womb for the purpose of identifying with his fallen, wayward creatures. And besides that, he had foretold it. He had prophesied that he would do this. This is the God we serve. And we mustn't lose sight of it. Mary is still in crisis. You don't assimilate, assimilate news like this just at the snap of, a, of fingers. So the text says, after the angel left, she made haste to go to her cousin's house in the hill country of Judah. She's so eager for some kind of confirmation regarding this. In fact, we could say she's a bit desperate for it. Someone to ratify what she has just experienced. Some objective viewpoint from someone else in her world to make sure she hasn't been just hallucinating. And the answers she's going to receive in her cousin's home are so comforting. They're geared just to her need. Notice how her cousin ministers to her in this passage in Luke 1. The Lord himself is reassuring her through Elizabeth. And don't forget that Elizabeth is able to do this 
because she herself is experiencing something totally extraordinary. She is an old woman. We don't know exactly how old, but quite evidently beyond childbearing years, and yet she is pregnant, expecting a child, six months along. So the first thing that Elizabeth does when Mary enters is to bless Mary and her offspring. It's a double blessing. Just hearing Mary's greeting, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. And Luke writes that she was at that moment filled with the Holy Spirit, and she declares this double blessing over Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Interesting, Mary hadn't even mentioned anything about being pregnant, had she? And her cousin is already confirming it and blessing her, suggesting that she's going to hold a very special place among womankind, as indeed she has. And then Elizabeth goes on to bless her baby. No one else even knew about this child as far as we know. And here Elizabeth is. Remember, they didn't have WhatsApp. <laughs> they didn't have phones to communicate this sort of thing. And her cousin lived a long way off. And her cousin is blessing her child. You know, there's hardly a greater blessing that you can give someone than to bless their children. Parents, wouldn't you agree with me on that? She blesses this unborn child when it has barely been conceived. What does that tell us about that fragile estate? I won't draw out the lessons. I'll leave it for you. And immediately afterward, Elizabeth exclaims, What on earth have I done to be granted a visit from the mother of my Lord? Now, she didn't exactly say, what on earth have I done? You know, that, that, that's my mm, loose translation because the Greek is a little bit, uh, sounds like Shakespearean English if I say it. It's, wherefore to me is this? <laughs> In effect, she meant why. Why have I been granted this visit from the mother of my Lord? And of course, that is the key phrase here. The mother of my Lord. That's a prophetic word that Elizabeth is pronouncing over her cousin Mary. Who told her that Mary would deliver the Son of God? Well, I can guarantee you the Holy Spirit has revealed it to her. The Holy Spirit made it known to her. And it must have given Mary goosebumps, especially when she mentioned how the baby had jumped for joy in her womb just at hearing her greeting. Do you realize how God is strengthening, comforting Mary for the challenges she has ahead? And finally, in the third place, Elizabeth blesses Mary for her faith, just for believing. Blessed is she who believed that there will be fulfillment according to what was spoken to her from the Lord. You see, Elizabeth is experiencing this herself, isn't she? That's why she could be so emphatic about it. 
You see, being able to really bless others comes from having experienced blessing yourself and knowing where it came from and wanting the credit to go to him. Do you follow me on this? I think especially as Christians, we have a desire to be a blessing to others. Then count your own first. Be very aware of how God has blessed you. Because blessing is found in believing the Lord's word, practicing it, becoming conscious of his blessing in your life. And this moves, motivates, capacitates you for being a blessing to others. Okay, so there would be more crises to face. But Mary has been assured for the next steps that she needed to take. She's been enabled to overcome her fears. The distances that could have, been, could have separated her from loved ones, she's no longer anxious about that because she's received this confirmation from the Lord. You know, I believe the Lord wants to bless us in our crises, whatever they are. If only we have eyes and ears to see it. Eyes to see, ears to hear. Because Jesus came precisely to bridge the gaps between us, to break down the barriers, to help us overcome the distances, the crises. So what do we need to do? We just need to invite Jesus into our crises. Intentionally invite him into our crises this Christmas and always because his presence is the true gift of Christmas. We're aware of that up here, but we get so excited down here about other things that we forget it. We don't practice it. His presence is the true present. It's the one that matters. Invite him into the world's crises. Oh, well, we don't control those. Oh, of course we don't. But aren't we called to pray about them? Aren't we called to influence in them through our prayers? Invite God into the world's crises. Invite the Lord Jesus Manifest his presence in the world's crises. They're overwhelming. And if God's people don't respond to those crises, seeking his presence in them, who is going to? Do we have a responsibility here? I hope you feel it. He's the only one who can help us overcome the distances that we have all helped create. Can we confess that? We need to. We need to acknowledge we've all been a part of it. But if we invite Jesus into our crises and the world's crises, that means we are ready to learn from him, ready to receive his grace for learning how to build bridges in these crises, to bridge the gaps, to be able to bless others 
out of the overflowing cup of blessing that he's given us. Christmas is about overcoming the distances between us. Can we take that home with us? We overcome those distances with the blessing and the presence of Jesus. Will you be blessed this Christmas by believing, by acting on your belief? Would you pray with me? Blessed Savior, we haven't enough words to express all the feelings that are conjured up by Christmas. How we pray you will help us to focus, Holy Savior, on you, your presence in us and with us as the greatest present greatest gift. How deeply we need your grace in our lives and how tremendously available you make it through your incarnation and all that you did with your life and death and resurrection. Focus us there, I pray, so that we may truly celebrate Christmas as you deserve. In Jesus' precious name.